This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the One who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, our reading today from the Gospel of Matthew is about Peter, Peter's confession, in the light of which Jesus says, You are rock, and on this rock I will build my church. This is why this reading is very much about us. It's about the church what gives us our spiritual stability? Where can we stand? Let me read to you a little bit from the beginning of this passage from the 16th chapter of Matthew. Jesus went into the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said in reply, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus stands in the midst of his disciples. And he asked that strange question. Not, what do people say that I teach? What do people think about my ideas? What do they think about what I've been doing? Nope, those aren't the questions. The question is, who do people say that I am? Paul Tillich, the Protestant theologian, said, Christianity is the only religion that stubbornly ontologizes about its founder. What he means is, we're the only religion that wonders about the being of our founder. No Buddhist, as far as I know, is interested in the being of the Buddha. They honor the Buddha as someone who found a way, taught deep and important truths. And in fact, the Buddha himself, I would say to his infinite credit, always said to his followers, don't look at me, but look at the path that I found, the path to enlightenment. No Muslim is particularly interested in the ontological structure of Muhammad, of who he was. He's the prophet. He's the one who bore a message from God to whom the Quran was revealed. Muhammad himself would never say, look at me, but rather look at the revelation which has come through me. And then there's Christianity. This tradition of wondering about Jesus' being commences here in the Gospel of Matthew with Jesus himself. Who do people say that I am? Now you can trace this. I find this fascinating now as a, as a professor of theology to watch this in the early centuries of the church. Mimicking Matthew's gospel, Christians continue to ask who he is. The Council of Nicaea, Council of Constantinople, the Council of Chalcedon. Christians gathered and there was much sweat and blood and ink spilled over this question of who precisely he is. And with great philosophical dexterity and precision, these early Christians tried to name it. 
talking about his natures, talking about his person, how they relate to each other. And you might say, well, isn't this kind of a fussy, funny thing to be fretting about? Why don't we just look at his teaching? Well, they look at his being, who he is. What does Jesus find out when he poses this question? Well, first he gets a kind of public opinion survey. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, look, this is more or less what we'd expect. Jesus is this captivating, intriguing public figure. He's been doing and saying amazing things. There's been all kinds of hubbub and talk about him. Now we take a public opinion survey. What do you think about him? Who is he? What's he all about? And as we'd expect, you get a whole range of opinions. He's the reincarnation of Elijah. He's Jeremiah, back from the dead. He's John the Baptist. Okay, a lot of opinions. Some reasonable, some off the wall, some wishful thinking. What do they all have in common? They're all wrong. Every one of these views is wrong. Maybe some are a bit closer to the truth than others, but they're all wrong. Next, Jesus turns to those closest to him, his disciples, his chosen few, those who have been with him, walking with him, living at close quarters with him, listening. Who do you say that I am? Now the opinion survey is much more tightly focused. What I find interesting here is how most of them don't speak. James, John, Matthew, they don't speak. Maybe they're as confused as public opinion. Maybe they're as in the dark as everybody else. Maybe they got some opinions, but they're not sure of them. They remain silent until finally it's Peter who speaks. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he gets it right. General opinion was wrong. The bulk of the disciples, they didn't speak. Peter alone gets it right. You're the son of a living God. Now, why does he get it right? Well, because he's the most intelligent. Please <laughs> look at the New Testament witness. Peter, the most intelligent. This simple Galilean fisherman? Well, I guess he gets it right because he's the holiest. He's the closest to Jesus. Please. <laughs> the New Testament witness is anything but that Peter is weak and vacillating, betrays the Lord at the end of his life, that he's the holiest of them? Come on. If anything, we'd think... John, the beloved disciple, he'd get it right because he's the one that Jesus loves. The Last Supper, he leans on the breast of the Lord, listening to his heart. He's the one that's closest to Jesus, the holiest, the most mystical. But yet John doesn't get it right. John doesn't speak up. It's Peter who does. Why does he get it right? Jesus tells us, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Heavenly Father. Christians, it couldn't be stated more clearly and more directly. It is the Father, it is God himself, 
who through a special inspiration has given this insight to Peter. It's not his natural intelligence. It's not his basic goodness. It is because of an inspiration from the Father, a supernatural gift, a special charism, that Peter is able to confess correctly. Friends, it is upon this inspired confession that the church is built. So the Lord says it clearly. I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. What could be more powerful? What could be greater as a promise? And it rests upon this inspired confession of Peter. Not, mind you, on popular opinion, which remains throughout the centuries and today, shifting, indecisive, and not on personal holiness, which is all too rare. It's built upon the inspired confession of Peter. And for that, I say, thank God. You know, there are a lot of voices around the Christian world today that say the church ought to base itself upon public opinion polls. Now, this was a very vague survey they took 2,000 years ago. We can measure public opinion with much greater precision today. So many Catholics say this, so many Catholics say that. This percentage wants X, that percentage wants Y. And some say, heck, let's govern the church that way, by majority rule. Let's govern the church by public opinion. We could even send a survey out. Who do you say that Jesus is? And I bet we'd get the same range of answers that Jesus got. You know, a lot of different points of view. And let's measure them. Which one is, is the highest? Let's make that the determination of our faith. But heck, if we had followed public opinion polls in Jesus' time, we would have said he was the reincarnation of Elijah. We would have gotten completely wrong. Cardinal Newman, you know, points out that often in the course of the church's history, the most basic and elemental truths are not widely or universally believed. Sometimes the church, in its majority opinion, goes off uh, the rails. So relying on that is inadequate. We have this extraordinary claim that it is through a special charism of the Spirit that Peter and his successors govern the church. Let me just say a couple quick things now about this. What's one criticism of this view? Well, if you say Peter and his successors, the popes, govern the church, doesn't that close down intellectual curiosity, intellectual achievement? Aren't you imposing a sort of terrible authority that shuts down the life of the church? I would argue really anything but. A baseball game is more vibrantly played. There's more fun in it precisely because of the rules. If you send a group of kids out in a field with a bat and ball and say, okay, go, go play ball. No bases, no lines, no rules, no umpires. Well, the game quickly dissolves into, into bickering. What makes the game fun? That you got lines, that you got bases, you got rules, and you got someone to enforce them. You got an umpire. That restriction, in a curious way, it's a paradox, makes the game more vibrant, more fun. So in the life of the church, 
precisely because there is, there are rules, there are lines, there is a clean and clear sense of what the church is about. It's precisely for those reasons that our intellectual life, our theological life, our creative life is more vibrant, it's more fun, it's more directed and controlled. That's not a restriction. That's an advantage. Cardinal Newman also said that the church develops like a living thing, like a plant. Any gardener knows a plant is stronger, better, more alive when it's pruned from time to time. You simply leave a plant alone, let it grow as it wills, well, it will grow in on itself. It will send off errant shoots and dead branches, which will soon choke its life. The good gardener knows how to prune, how to restrict and limit the plant, which allows the plant to be more alive, not less alive. So the church of Jesus Christ is a living thing, developing over the centuries, unfolding across time. What it requires is a clean and clear sense of authority that limits and prunes and watches its development. This makes it not less alive, but more alive. Just a last observation. What does Peter confess? He confesses who Jesus is. Friends, that's the heart of it. That's where the infallibility of the church is found, precisely in the confession of who Jesus is. Does this mean that Peter and his successors are right in every one of their practical decisions? Well, no. Does it mean they're right in, in uh, predicting the weather? Does it mean they're right about ordinary? No. It means that they've been given this special charism to confess accurately and truthfully who Jesus is, that he is true God and true man, the one who as true God and true man guarantees salvation. In that confession, Peter and his successors have this infallible charism. In that regard, they constitute a rock upon which the church is built, a rock that guarantees us spiritual stability. For that we say, thank God. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. To purchase copies of The Word on Fire, call 847-297-4360. That's 847-297-4360.